Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, fellow travelers, I'm Lori Gottlieb. I'm the author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, and I write the Dear Therapist column for The Atlantic. And I'm Guy Winch. I wrote Emotional First Aid, and I write the Dear Guy column for TED. And this is Dear Therapists. This week, a new father worries that his parents' constant criticisms could be as damaging to his child as they were to him. I called my mom, and it was a snotty, crying mess, and told her, when you say those things, it makes me feel really bad, and I've been working really hard to accept myself and love myself, and it, it just really hurts. I'd appreciate it if you didn't. And her response was something along the lines of, get over it. Listen in, and maybe learn something about yourself in the process. Hey, just a note before we start. Dear Therapist is for informational purposes only, does not constitute medical advice, and is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, mental health professional, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. By submitting a letter, you are agreeing to let iHeartMedia use it in part or in full, and we may edit it for length and or clarity. Hi, Guy. Hi, Lori. So what do we have today? Well, today we have a letter from a guy who has some very critical parents, and he doesn't know how to deal with them. Here's what he wrote. Dear Therapist, over the last few years, I've put in a lot of work when it comes to understanding my parents and my relationship to them. They are quite critical and judgmental, quick to say that you or someone else is being stupid or your appearance looks funny. They love to give their unsolicited opinions and can be quite antagonistic when people don't do things as they do. While in the company of others, they will jump at the opportunity to tell embarrassing stories of my past, remind me of times I tried and came up short, and point out anything they can about something, quote, wrong I may be doing in the moment. I know my parents are loving and caring and either don't know how to show this or have very odd ways of doing so. I have come to learn that this is more a reflection of their own insecurities and care that was lacking in their own upbringing. I try to be mindful of this and not let it impact my own self-worth. The problem is young kids don't know this and I am the proud parent of a newborn child. I very much want my family to be a big part of my child's life, but I am absolutely terrified of their feedback and criticism slowly chipping away at the self-esteem of my child. I know I can't shelter my child from all criticisms and personalities in life, nor would I want to, but the grandparent-grandchild relationship should be a safe space of love, empowerment, and emotional validation, things that may have been lacking in my own childhood. My parents are also of the generation where they think tough love and harsh criticism builds healthy, resilient adults. They like to go on at length about how we're all sensitive millennials now. In the past, when I've tried to make it known how their words and actions made me feel, it sometimes came with an apology, but not without an added, but you're too sensitive, or you think you've got problems? I worry that any concerns I voice won't be taken seriously, or worse, that they'll be stubborn and double down with their dated, my house, my rules attitude. You can probably guess from my letter that I can be quick to skirt conflict and appease others, but that doesn't seem like the healthy way to go about this. How can I protect my child? Thank you, Jeff. So the transition to parenthood, right? When you have your first child and you transition to being a parent, it brings up 
pretty much every psychological conflict you might have had ever in your life because it brings up your feelings about the parenting that you received from your parents, what kind of parent you will be. It radically changes your sense of identity. So that's a huge life event that just brings up so many feelings. Yeah, it does. There's this really famous paper by Selma Freiberg called The Ghost in the Nursery. And it's about how when we have our kids, we start to relive a lot of the experiences that we had as kids that maybe we hadn't thought about in a very long time. And it's always that thing where you say, I'm not going to do it the way my parents did. And then you find yourself doing exactly the thing that you said you wouldn't. I wonder if there's some bit of him that maybe he's not aware of yet that worries that he might do something to his own child that he doesn't want to. Maybe it doesn't look the same as what his parents did, but that somehow he's going to fall short when it comes to him and his own child. What a lot of people don't recognize, it is an absolutely terrifying responsibility. When as therapists, people tell us that they've had a newborn and they start talking about the fears that they have, it's very, very common, except it's not something that people express to their friends like, oh my goodness, I'm going to break my kid. A lot of people will talk about, oh, I'm not sleeping or those aspects of having a newborn. But I remember when I had my son, people weren't really talking about the fact that you're handed this human that you are now responsible for in every way, and you've never done it before. And that is terrifying. And so when I started talking about that with other people, it felt like, oh, I'm not the only one. Oh, you felt this way too. And so I think that Jeff needs to understand that it's very normal to feel like I want to do right by this little person and I don't know if I know how. And especially in his situation where he feels like he didn't have great modeling for that. Right. A friend of mine once said, I break every iPhone I have. Why did somebody give me a baby? I know. It's like, I can't even take care of a plant. So now I have this human. Well, let's go talk to him and see what we can do to help him with the situation with his parents. Yes. This is Dear Therapists, and we'll be back after a short break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Dear Therapist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Dear Therapists. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. 
Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Lori Gottlieb. And I'm Guy Winch. And this is Dear Therapists. Hi, Jeff. Hi. Hi, Jeff. It's good to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me. And congratulations on the baby. How old is the baby now? <laughs> Four months old. Are you getting any sleep? <laughs> Not much, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> is it just you or do you have a partner? Yeah, my partner. Yeah, she's tired too. Jeff, one of the things that stood out for me in your letter was you used the word terrified to describe your worry about the impact your parents might have on your son. Can you tell us a little bit more about really what that fear is about, what interactions they've been with your parents so far? Yeah, I've done some therapy myself over the last couple of years, and I'm starting to realize that a lot of my, you know, my anxieties and insecurities and things surrounding self-worth, they stem from messages that I got as, as a child. And I'm a lot more receptive now to the the tone of voice and the messaging that I get from my parents, whether they're, you know, kind of offhand, like, oh, that's stupid, or, you know, comments about my appearance or comments about others. As I can see pretty clearly now, sort of the line between that and, and how I am today, I'm just, I'm so scared. Have your parents seen him yet? And how has that been? They have, yeah. I think I'm just like, I'm looking for those things, for those messages from my parents. And, I, you know, when you're looking for them, you see them. I see them just making sort of like offhand remarks about the way that he's dressed or just like physical appearance. What exactly have they said just to give us a flavor of what that sounds like? Yeah. Um, oh, you look ridiculous, like in that outfit or crying. Being oh. Like, oh, you're fine. And one of the things I think I've seen or noticed in myself and my history with them is like, I think I got a lot of that messaging is when I wasn't fine. I was told that I was fine. You know, mm. I didn't feel mm. like my emotions were very validated. I'm so freaked out about the implications of that and that messaging for my son. What do you do in the moment when your parents say things like this? And more importantly, how do you feel? <laughs> I generally just take it. When it really gets under my skin, I re respond sometimes, maybe not the best way, just kind of uh, not angry, but just like, yeah, 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 whatever. And I, I feel really, really small. The reason that you feel small is because we all do this around our parents at times when they trigger something that was upsetting from our childhood. We get very young in those moments. So it's not our adult selves that's responding. It's our childhood self. And when you even just minimized your feeling a second ago, you said, you know, they, they sort of tried to tell you, no, you're not feeling this. You just did that to yourself. You said, well, angry. No, not angry. I'll bet you get pretty angry. <laughs> yeah, totally. And part of that being young when we were with our parents is that we revert to the fact that when we were kids and this happened, we didn't have a lot of options. We couldn't just get up and go, for example, and then we maintain that in our adulthood. We feel like helpless and paralyzed and I have to take it. Part of what happens when we get into that young mental space because we're with our parents and we revert back to childhood is we feel as helpless and lacking in resources as we did when we were indeed helpless and lacking in resources, even though now we're not. Mm -hmm. How much you can identify feeling that feeling of helplessness and that you just have to take it because there's not much you can actually do as an adult. I feel that fully. Yeah, 100%. And uh, I don't want to rock the boat with them. And I see how this is problematic, but I don't want to make them question how they raised me and feel bad in that sense. They don't necessarily have to feel bad, but why not alert them to the fact that you didn't and still don't like to be uh, spoken to that way? Uh because I know how much it would hurt me and how terrible I would feel if I got that messaging from somebody. There's a lot of blurring be of the lines between how your parents would feel, how you would feel, and how your child might feel. And so mm -hmm. you're saying, you know, I wouldn't like it if my child grows up and says that to me. There's a way that patterns in families are passed down through the generations based on how each generation is raised. 
And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about your parents and what you know about their upbringing. Yeah. My father, he was raised in a family. His father was in the Second World War. And he came, yeah, came home, started a family. And my dad just mentioned one time that he basically just said, I was a, I was a tank driver in the, in the Second World War. Don't ever ask me about it again. So, you know, emotions, uh, things like that, not spoken about in that family, uh, nor were they in, in mine. And my mom, her father passed away when she was in her 30s from alcoholism. So... Right. If there was alcoholism in the family, there probably was a lot of erratic behavior or secrets or instability in some way. Probably. Yeah. And so she probably didn't have a lot of space for her feelings as well. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of similarities between how you felt as a kid and probably how your parents felt as children. That makes sense. Jeff, one of the things I think that's happening is that you are justifying this paralysis that you feel by saying, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want them to question their own parenting to me. But yet, without doing that, it's going to be years and has been years for you of feeling really bad when you're around them and being terrified now that your son will feel bad when he's around them. Now, having a conversation like that might not necessarily be pleasant and perhaps the feelings will be hurt and perhaps they'll think back and go, oops. I mean, actually, that's the best case scenario that they think back and go, oops. But to the extent that they do, then they might actually change their behavior. And I think the math here is, do you perpetuate something over many, many years? And as Laurie was saying, transgenerationally, or do you actually address it? Because the adult you is super clear that that's not something that's good for you, even today, and certainly wouldn't be something that's good for your son. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a big part of like the, I guess, called the work that I've done over the last few years is feeling like in an attempt to not have to have that conversation and I guess potentially like have my feelings invalidated further is just trying to change my relationship with that messaging. Like, oh, when my parents say this, that's their childhood talking. But when I see you, because we can actually see you, the hurt in your eyes indicates that's not necessarily super successful. No, no, it's not. Yeah, we see you right. smiling in recognition at that too. You're aware of that. And I think that's why you wrote to us because that hasn't been successful. Yep. <laughs> I'm wondering, given all of this, how you felt when you learned you were going to become a father. What was the pregnancy like for you and your wife? It was uh, super exciting as it relates to my family, though. I was, I think, afraid to tell them about the choices that we were making and the things that we wanted for for our kid. What um, kinds of choices? Um, just like whether we were going to do a home birth or a hospital birth. Are we going to stay in a small apartment or are we going to co-sleep with them? Um, my parents are really quick to give you know advice and snap judgments. Just to avoid that, I just didn't really tell them much about the things that we were doing because I just wanted to be free to do the things that my partner and I wanted to do. Right, except you weren't exactly free because you were trapped by having to edit yourself. Yeah. So you weren't free at all, in fact. What I think about is that you say in your letter, you really want your child to have a close relationship with his grandparents. And I think you want to have a close relationship with your parents, but a different one. And if you avoid them by, we're not going to tell them what we're doing with the baby. I'm going to edit myself around them because if they make a comment, it will devastate me or it will make me um, question myself or it'll leave me in a funk for two hours, whatever it is, you're not going to be able to have that closer relationship with them. And having a baby is a real transition and a really good time to redefine relationships for the better. And what this really does is it really kind of forces you to emotionally move into the adult space and say, wait, I'm the parent now. I'm an adult now. And so how can I be more of an adult around my parents? So when your parents say, we use this method with you because we think that tough love 
makes people more resilient and you're just a sensitive millennial, well, guess what? I guess it didn't work because you are sensitive. (laughs) (laughs) So it didn't make you more resilient. And they're having trouble seeing that. And so I think you are too. So when you talk about, oh, I have to be really careful about what I say around my parents because they may say something that will devastate me. We want to help you get to a different place with that. Please do. (laughs) So uh, your partner, how does she respond when those kinds of, he looks ridiculous in that, how does she respond when they make comments like that? She's been pretty unfazed by it over the years. She's just like, such a kind person gives everyone the benefit of the doubt. And thus far it's been, oh, they don't really mean it. They love you a lot. But actually right before I wrote the letter, it's sort of when it first affected her. My parents made a comment about like, oh, that looks ridiculous. And I saw how much it hurt her. And that was the breaking point for me. It's like, this no longer affects just me. I have to do something about it. Right. And I think that your feeling has been that it's going to be really, really difficult to do. And I think as a son, your feeling has been, I can take it. Now, whether that was wise, whether you should be taking it or should have taken it for so long, I don't know. But as a husband, and now as a father, it's a fight you need to have for three people. You mentioned in your letter that you've have some experience in asking them to either not use that language or to not do those things. Could you tell us a little bit about how you brought that up with them and what the reactions were? Yeah. Over the course of years, they had just like constantly made comments about appearance, like, you know, my body and my brother's body, like things that we have no control over. There was one night, actually, it was was my, my partner, Liz, we left and she was like, it's not okay that your parents say that. I think you're beautiful. And I went home and I, and I called my mom and it, yeah, it was a snotty crying mess and told her, like, when you say those things, it makes me feel really bad. And I've been working really hard to accept and love myself for those things. And it it just really hurts. I'd appreciate if you didn't. And her response was something along the lines of, get over it. And she hasn't mentioned it since then. So in in that way, I guess it was a success. But I wish that if I brought it up now that we could talk about it comfortably and like adults, but she kind of fought back and then it's just like it never happened. It's not like it never happened because she felt blamed or criticized, even though that wasn't your intention. And yet she got the message because she hasn't brought it up since. So the conversation Mm. did happen, but she gets so injured. She doesn't hear, I feel hurt by this. What she hears is you were a bad mother. And that's where she starts to defend herself. But she heard it. And so that's a start. That's an opening that gives us a little bit of hope that maybe something different can happen. Yeah. And that's how I deal with things. You know, if a friend comes to me and is like, hey, it upset me that you couldn't come to this thing or like, oh, I'm a terrible friend. Right. Instead of taking the message that your friend is saying, I want to be closer with you. And you're important to me. And that's why I was upset by this. You hear it as, oh God, I'm a horrible person. I think your mom does something similar where instead of saying, oh, my son wants to be closer with me, she hears, oh, I'm a terrible mom. Yeah. And I think one of the big reasons I, I struggle so much with talking about it is I look at my mom and in so many ways I see myself. In what ways do you see yourself? Mm, mostly in the ways that she responds to to criticisms like that, she kind of shuts down and and I shut down. But you get defensive and say things like, oh, you think you've got problems? No, I just shut down. You, you shut down and self-flagellate, <laughs> right? Do you do this with, with Liz also? Like when she has something to bring up with you, how do you respond to her? We've just had such open, honest dialogue from day one that I feel comfortable bringing those things mm. up. I'm trying to get better at talking about my needs and my boundaries. And, and there's been a couple of times where I've mentioned them and, and then the next day I feel really guilty. But generally, it's a very healthy, open conversation. That's great news, though. <laughs> it is great news. <laughs> that you found someone who makes you feel about yourself so differently than your parents did is lovely. It feels really great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we see you tearing up. It's really meaningful to you. That phone conversation, that example you gave us with your mom, Do you have an example with your dad? Mm, I've never 
really talked to him about any of that kind of stuff before called him out on things he does like to point out past mistakes and you know off the cuff just you're so stupid and Mm -hmm. i definitely just i take it so this would be new territory for you to bring it up with him yeah he responds the opposite way to my mom he'll explode (laughs) he'll just get angry and kind of run off what about your brother how has he dealt with this as he's grown up I have two brothers and they've both kind of said, oh, they say those things because they want the best for us. They want us to succeed. But do they own the fact that it's very painful as you do? No, not at all. Do they Mm. have kids? Is this the first grandchild? Yeah, it's the first one. It sounds like there's this sense of isolation too. You know, sometimes when you grow up in a household and there's something about the way that you felt hurt or unheard and everybody else in the family is sort of like, it's not a big deal, right? And then you're sort of labeled as the person who is overly sensitive or problematic in some way. And so the problem becomes, oh, it's you because we deal with this just fine. And I think that that probably makes you question the validity of what you're feeling. And so you have Liz who can say, wow, <laughs> as an outsider, I saw that and I did not like the way your parents treated you. I don't like what they said about your appearance. So there's that reality check there. But I imagine that it was very hard growing up when people were saying, well, you're just sensitive. So whatever you're feeling, this hurt, this anger, buck up. Yeah. It's tough because I, yeah, you, you kind of summed that up really well, but in addition to all that, I, I do feel like I was, I was maybe like the hard kid in our family. At least I'm reminded that I was a lot. Because you had feelings? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I struggled in junior high. You know, I dealt with anxiety and I was depressed. I, you know, I was bullied. Didn't have a lot of friends in elementary school. When I was really young, like my, my son's age, apparently I cried a lot. My parents will tell me like how, how, terrible I was as a kid because I cried so much on more than one occasion they've told me like they considered putting me up for adoption which I'm like holy shit like what what kind of things were you telling me as a kid that I they told you that as a kid they told me that as an adult but they actually said that we were thinking at some point of putting you up for adoption because you were crying so much yeah or that I was just like such a, a hard child so you were basically labeled difficult early on for being human. As you know, you have a baby yourself, babies cry. That's how they communicate, in fact. That is their survival mechanism. So if a baby is uncomfortable um, in any way, they're hungry, they're tired, they're saying, hey, I need help, come here, comfort me. That's the only way they can communicate. And so it sounds like from even being a newborn, your parents were saying, we don't want that kind of communication. We want happy, pleasant communication. And anything else is, quote unquote, difficult. And I wonder what it's like for you now when your son cries. What comes up in you? Just like be patient with them and hold them and tell them that, it's okay. And that I love him anyways. Do you notice why you said, I love him anyways? Like, I love you despite the fact you're doing this very normal <laughs> thing. So just, just to notice how much yeah. your parents have seeped into you. It's, it's yeah. just, you're showing him that I love you and let me help you here. I know you're calling out to me for help. And your mm-hmm. son is not being difficult. There's not loving him despite the fact that he's crying. And I think that part of the reason that's still in you is because you haven't accepted that in yourself. That the work here is really about how are you going to reframe for yourself whether you are a person who is difficult, whether you are too much. I think you have this sense of Mm -hmm. I'm too much. I don't want to approach my parents about this because that will be too much. Yeah. And... You know, over the last few years of, of realizing that I deal with normal human things and talking about them with friends, being like, oh, you know, I, uh, X, Y, Z. And then the next day I'll be like, I shouldn't have told them those things. Like, I'm just like, I feel 
like, oh, I probably lost them as a friend because I burdened them with my feelings again. My stuff. Did you burden them with your feelings? Y yeah. Because yeah. that's the unfortunate legacy of your upbringing, that feelings are burdensome. They make you a difficult child, one worthy perhaps of considering adoption because this kid has just things called feelings and they're making a mess. When you have these wounds, which you carry with you, and the wounds are still there, and you're getting freshly wounded each time you interact with your parents, there is nothing you can do to reframe that, to manage that, to dismiss it, that will make that not hurt. And I think that this idea of let me go to therapy so I can learn how to tolerate and not be too upset. When you tell me that you went home and you called your mom and I think you said you were a blubbering, sobbing mess, and this is an adult and this is recent, it's the proof, right, that this still hurts. And it does, Jeff, because it should. Because when somebody speaks to you that way and treats you that way, especially with a history, It has to hurt. You said, yes, I think I'm strong enough to do it for my son now. I would love for you to be strong enough to do it for yourself. And your son can benefit from that. But it's you that really needs to be able to do it. You're the one that needs to be able to communicate to your parents. You guys, I can't keep hurting every time I'm around you. It's not something I want to keep doing. And I'm sure it's not something you want to keep doing. Yeah. The thing about feelings in your household was that feelings were dangerous. Feelings were messy. Feelings made people uncomfortable. And what I think your parents couldn't see because of the way they grew up were feelings were also dangerous and uncomfortable and messy and inconvenient was that when you had feelings, it was about them and their inability to tolerate their own feelings. So when you had feelings, it brought up feelings in them. You cried. They thought, oh, no, maybe I'm a bad parent. My kid's unhappy. I don't know how to do that. I need to have my kid be happy so that I feel good about myself. And as a parent myself, I can say a million feelings come up. There's that warm, like, I want to take care of you and I want to help you. And there's also the, oh, my God, the baby's crying again. When am I ever going to sleep? And like, is this normal? Is my baby healthy? Am I doing everything right? You know, all of those things are coming up. And to be able to sit with those feelings, you have to really move into that place of I've dealt with my childhood and I'm making sure that I'm separating out my own relationship with feelings that was in my house when I was growing up with how I feel about that now. And your parents hadn't done that work, so they weren't able to do that. But you have begun that work and you do have the opportunity to do that. And so it, you won't be in this place of overcompensating like, okay, so when my son is crying, I have to only feel like these warm, loving feelings toward my child. You can also feel, this is really hard. I, I can't believe the kid is crying again, right? <laughs> like, that's okay to feel that. You know, you'll respond to your child and you'll yeah. hold him and feed him and change his diaper or whatever needs to happen. But you can also say to Liz, like, you know, hey, you got this one. <laughs> you know, or she'll say to you, you got this one, right? <laughs> and that's okay to have these moments of, you know, God, this is really hard. I wish this kid would just leave me alone for an hour. And also love your kid with, you know, every fiber of your being. And both of those things are true. Your parents couldn't integrate yeah. those two things. Yeah. We do have some advice for you. And I, I think what we need to preface and say is that what's important here is what you can message to them, the clarity with which you'll do it, and the follow-up, which will be necessary to maintain it. The mark of whether they hear you is not going to occur in the moment. It's going to occur when they change or not their behavior, because that's what happened 
in that incident with your mum. She kind of heard it, but made excuses and rebuffed. But then she stopped saying that thing that you asked her to stop saying. So the conversation itself would probably not be a good indication about whether you got through. It might be, but you're going to have to yeah. reserve judgment until you see what changes in terms of behavior. Okay. Jeff, I was thinking about how in your family, resilience meant that you don't have feelings. And the reality is that you become more resilient when you can actually feel your feelings. That's a lesson that you've learned as you've moved into adulthood. And one of your roles as a parent is to be that child's teacher. And as you move into this more adult place with your feelings, which is not the, the helpless place you were as a child, but the more empowered place, a place where you have agency to respond differently and to do something different with those feelings as an adult, that's a lesson that you're learning for yourself. And you can also be a teacher of those lessons to the rest of your family. Yeah. Your parents don't really understand this feelings thing. And you do. And you understand how human that makes you, how important that is. And this is something that you need to teach them. They might not be the most willing students, but this is something you need to come at as a son who's understood something and learned something about life they have not. And this is your attempt to teach them that. And why we're emphasizing this aspect of teacher, because when you embody that, it gives you a different stature. It gives you a different kind of emotional resiliency in that moment, because you're coming from a place of wisdom. I know something, mom and dad, that you don't and that you really should. So I'm going to try and convey it to you. You don't say that, but, but that's the, the mindset with which you approach them. And we think you need to speak to them separately because they are so similar in their orientation. They would just reinforce one another and then it, it would be very difficult to get through. So we think you should start with your mom and then talk with your dad soon thereafter. We'd like you to say, mom, being a dad myself has given me a lot of thoughts about my life. And I recognize really clearly that you and dad thought that by um, issuing these kinds of comments and criticisms, I should be able to take it and it will toughen me up. But as you know, I'm a sensitive millennial. <laughs> so that didn't quite work. And then you'll say, and I am so glad it didn't because I can experience my feelings and I can be in touch with them. And because I am, I have a request for you. I want to feel closer to you and I want my son to feel close to you. And so I need you to change your strategy. I need you to understand that when you criticize me and put me down, even if it's sometimes jokingly, it actually hurts. And I don't want to hurt when I am with you. And I know you don't want me to. So I'm asking you to do something really difficult, and that is change a habit you have. And I want you to, instead of pointing out deficits, I want you to be supportive. I want you to be loving. I want you to be encouraging. Those are the things I want to hear from you, and those are the things I want my son to hear from you. And you can say to them that those comments don't make me stronger. They actually make me weaker. When I feel your love, your approval, your appreciation, your respect, that's what makes me stronger. Who boy. Can you tell us more about the who boy? You just kind of uttered there. I just, I'm just going over all the things in my head of like how they're going to respond, which I shouldn't, because that's what's kept me from, from saying things in the past, but. When you do go over that mm -hmm. in your head, it makes you feel what? So scared. Scared? Yeah. What's the scary thing that can happen? Just, just, 
having them not be receptive to it or, or downplay it or, or and if you are a teacher jeff are you scared if your students don't quite get it yet does that is that a scary thing nope right it's not and you're a teacher here it's, it's so hard to break out of the child parent thing and, and see them as an, an equal adult where I can teach. They're not equal. You are a teacher yeah. to them is my yeah. point. And that's the point. You, If you try to see them as equal, it's difficult. You need to see them as not knowing something very fundamental that you okay. do. And Jeff, this is not a one-time yeah. lesson. This is a lesson that's going to have to be repeated. You're going to have to assume this role with yeah. them for a long time. And it's time you did assume it because somebody should. Right. So instead of approaching them from that place of like when your mom hurt you before, we're not saying don't feel that. You will feel what you felt as a child. That's okay. It's normal to feel hurt when somebody says something hurtful, especially people that you love, especially people that you feel like they're not seeing who you are or appreciating who you are. And so instead of responding from that place, it's very tender for you. And it takes you back to that old state of mind that I can't do anything about this. You are a parent now and you have choices. So if they don't heed what you say in the moment when something happens, like they say, oh, you know, the baby looks so funny. You may have to, for a second, be the child in your mind, go through that in your mind. Okay, here's my reaction as the helpless child. But now I'm a teacher and these people need me to teach them something. And you can say very gently, I'm reminding you that it would feel so much better if you would say, hey, he looks so adorable. Those comments would make me feel stronger, would make my son feel stronger, and would also bring us closer to you. And so no matter what comes out of these conversations, the good news that we're hearing is that already you're being a good parent to yourself, that you understand the importance of feeling something and acknowledging those feelings and acknowledging those feelings in other people. And that's what's going to make you a good parent to yourself, to your son, and to your parents who need a little bit of reparenting. Right. Yes. Jeff, one more thing. Your mom might get upset, your dad might get angry. And if I get you correctly, that will make you feel, after the fact, guilty. And I want to let you know that your thermostat for guilt is set a little low. <laughs> it's not really correct. So you will feel guilty when you should not. And so you're going to have to disregard it. Because you're going to feel afterwards, especially if there was a brouhaha, which there might be, like, oh, their feelings might be hurt, they might be upset, they might be bewildered, they'll get over it because they do care about you and you care about them. But you do have to say to yourself, this was necessary. I didn't do anything wrong. In fact, I did something hugely important. And by the way, not just for me, not just for my son, not just for Liz, but for my brothers and for their future children. Because I'm wise enough to be the teacher here, and I'm taking that mantle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're giving your parents a gift that they didn't have growing up. They never had someone say, it is okay to feel this. And this is how people get closer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, see, we just even just apologizing for your tears. <laughs> That's that message that you got that it's not okay to feel. So how do you feel about trying this this week? Oh, I so don't want to, but I, I know that it's necessary. Yeah. Well, so when you say I so don't want to, who's talking? The child uh, or the teacher? The child, of course, the child. Okay, so I want to <laughs> ask the teacher. I want to ask the teacher. Yes. How do you feel about trying this out this week? Knowing what you know about life and how important this lesson is. Uh, I recognize the the importance of it. I do not look forward to it, but I understand how important it is, especially for for my son and my partner. And as you said, my siblings, which I 
yeah, I hadn't even thought about in this equation, but it's, yeah, it's necessary and it's something I have to do. Let me just reframe it one more time for you. I want to ask you the question again, but I want to orient it differently. Imagine you're going to talk to your son about this one day when he's able to understand it, right? So you're giving him that message anyway, by the way you treat him, by the way you acknowledge his feelings, by the way you and Liz interact with him. But one day, someone besides your parents is going to give your son the message it's not okay to feel. Somebody in the world will do that. And you, as his teacher, are going to have a conversation with him when he comes to you and says that. How do you feel about having that conversation with him? Uh, Empowered. Yeah. Just to be able to just to to be able to pass that ability along to my to my son it's just something i've struggled with so much for my whole life and to be able to to give that to him seems like a gift <laughs> and to create a different legacy for him yeah and so when you think about being the teacher and having this conversation with your parents that's the perspective that we want you to take Remember, you're the teacher. And I know it's a a lot of recalibration for you. Separating the little boy that you were from the wise teacher that you've become. (laughs) Thank you for the encouragement. (laughs) Well, but Jeff, it's completely true. Just think for a minute. How much more sophisticated emotionally are you than they are? How much more of an understanding of emotions do you have than they do? I mean, it's it's a gulf. You recognize that, right? That, that you are in a position to talk about emotions in a way that's far more knowledgeable than they are. Yeah, it's just so hard to break out of the, just the idea that your parents are above you and have it all figured out and that you have could ever possibly teach them something. What you're doing here is not just teaching your parents, you're reparenting yourself. Yeah. You're being a good parent to yourself. And you have a choice every time you go back into that place of, oh, I can't do this, or to take a breath and say, wait a minute, I need to learn how to be a good parent to myself because the stakes are very high. If I can't be a good parent to myself, no matter how good my intentions are, I will not be a good parent to my son. So I have to do this first with myself in order to give my son the thing that I want to give him more than anything else in the world. Yeah, that's true. That's all I want to give him. (laughs) You will do this. You will have this conversation. It will go as it will go, but you will do your best. After you've had it and after you know how difficult it was to have, how impressed with yourself will you be? Very proud. (laughs) Good. So yes, do it and then feel really proud of yourself for doing it. And I want to say one last thing. You mentioned that that time that your parents made uh, a comment about your appearance, that it was Liz who said to you, that's not okay. And you then went home and called and said, I didn't like that. Right. And then the behavior stopped. The conversation didn't go swimmingly but the behavior stopped. I want you to, as part of this, enlist Liz, just to let her know that you're doing this so that you have that support going in. We want you to tell her before you make these calls, here's what I'm going to do. Here's the rationale behind it. Here is my role as a teacher. Here is how that's going to help me become a better parent to myself, which in turn will make me a better parent to our child. Here's how it's going to help you. Here's how it's going to help my brothers. And here's how, in some way, it will help my parents. I can do this. Great. Good. Thank you. Okay, well, we look forward to hearing what happens. (laughs) And remember, we'll be rooting for you. Thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. 
I liked him a lot. A lot. Yeah. What a lovely person, and I'm so glad he found a lovely wife. Yeah, he was in such a common predicament with being sort of caught between the childhood self and the adult self that he's started to grow into. And what you have to do in that scenario is you have to use your adult self to do something that feels really unnatural and really scary, but it's in the doing of it that you become the adult. Yeah, I'm really glad that he has Liz because I think she's going to be a great support for him when the child walks into the metaphorical classroom and the teacher is trying to talk. And I'm really glad he has his son because his son has forced him to grow up. Yeah. But I think for him, having that conversation that he's so afraid to have will be such a growth experience that it will make it all worthwhile. Yeah, this is one of those things where you see the benefit in the long term. You're listening to Dear Therapists from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Dear Therapist from iHeartRadio. So we heard back from Jeff, and I'm really looking forward to this one. I hope it went well for him. Yeah, that was not an easy role reversal we were asking him to try. So let's go hear what happened. Hey, Lori. Hey, Guy. It's Jeff. So I I did it. I I had the conversations that I, I never thought I'd be able to have with my folks. Leading up to it, I was super nervous, like nauseous even. But after talking it through with Liz, I realized that that was the child in me, not the adult or the teacher, as you had mentioned. I had to really remain mindful and remind myself that I was doing the right thing and that it's okay to express those needs and those feelings. I, I approached both of the conversations, as you had mentioned, that I've thought a lot about what it means to be a parent and a child and that I understand their criticisms and the way that they raised us to not acknowledge hard feelings, that that was just their way of fostering strength and resilience in us. And that while I appreciate and love them for all that they've done for me, that those comments and flippant dismissals of you know concerns and feelings that I, that I have and that people have are, are not okay, that they hurt and they can make me feel really small or invalid. 
And that in the future, I'd appreciate it if they could be mindful of those things and either don't say anything at all or instead act in ways that uplift and encourage, especially as it relates to their grandchild. The, the conversation with my mom didn't go so great. There were moments uh, where she'd said, like, you should know that I really love you. And her saying, like, okay, okay, I'll try. But she told me that I don't really have it that bad and that I'm being too sensitive, and that I'm essentially asking her and my father to censor themselves. Um, she said it's naive or even foolish for me to ask for someone to change their character, and that she doesn't want to have to constantly have to think about what she says in front of me, and that if we raise our son like this, that he won't be able to take negative feedback as he gets older. So I think I had a lot of hope that it would be this magical conversation, and I would finally feel seen. But I really didn't. It was really hard. I, I felt like I did a pretty good job in standing my ground. And I'm proud of myself for not backing down on my needs and feelings and trying my best to remember that these are reasonable requests. Um, I wasn't a blubbering mess, but I did leave the conversation feeling really upside down. And the child within me felt really invalidated. The uh, conversation with my father, thankfully, it went really well. He was really gracious and kind. He listened. He acknowledged that he can be this way and he apologized for it. He said that it was never his intention to make me feel small or shamed, but that it was a misguided way of showing affection, poking fun, and that he'll be more mindful of it with me and around his grandson. He noted that he's always had a hard time talking about feelings, especially difficult ones, and said he was really encouraged and happy to see that I'm getting better at doing it myself. I left that conversation feeling proud, relieved, and, and hopeful for the future. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong, I've got an emotional hangover that's going to last a week, but I feel that I've done something incredibly important for myself and for my family. Laid some groundwork, so I feel more comfortable expressing myself and setting boundaries. I just want to say thanks again uh, for helping me to see that the approach I was taking changing my relationship with pain rather than actively working to heal, that it wasn't working for me. But you made me feel seen and heard, and you gave me the encouragement to feel like I could have those conversations with my parents and that it was normal, that, that I'm normal, and it's reasonable to, to ask for those things. So thank you so much. Thanks, Lori. Thanks, Guy. Mm. Well, what people can't see is that while we're listening to this voicemail, you and I were nodding and smiling a lot. And I think that's because even though the conversation with his mother was very difficult, it still set the groundwork for some internal work that he's doing himself where he is being the teacher. And yes, the child part of him felt wounded by that conversation. And the child part of him felt gratified by the conversation with his father. But I think when he goes back into the teacher position, what came out of it was a different way of viewing himself, his place as, as a parent, his place as a husband, his place as a son, and that he really has something very valuable to teach everyone in his family, but particularly himself. Yes, that conversation with his mom didn't go well. But groundwork was established, as he said, the groundwork for him to give her a look the next time she does it and for her to give him a look, but pause and maybe not do it for the third time. And so I think that he actually accomplished more than he realized. Right. And also the fact that the father was so receptive to this and was able to really listen for Jeff, he had not felt listened to at all by his parents. And so to have his father really take that in and apologize and say, I'm going to be mindful of this. I think that when the mother does this again, now he's got the father a little bit on board and that will be very helpful too. And I think the bottom line here is that it's never too late to change a family dynamic. Even once you're an adult, the way family dynamics work is that if one person creates a real shift, it forces the other people to shift as well. And that's what Jeff did here. Hey, fellow travelers. If you've used any of our advice from the podcast in your own life, send us a quick voice memo to Laurie and Guy at iheartmedia.com and tell us about it. We may include it in a future show. That brings us to the end of our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. 
If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to rate and review it. You can follow us both online. I'm at lauriegottlieb.com and you can follow me on Twitter at lauriegottlieb1 or on Instagram at lauriegottlieb underscore author. And I'm at guywinch.com. I'm on Twitter and on Instagram at guywinch. If you have a dilemma you'd like to discuss with us, big or small, email us at laurieandguy at iheartmedia.com. Our executive producer is Christopher Hasiotis. We're produced and edited by Mike Johns. Special thanks to Samuel Benefield and to our podcast fairy godmother, Katie Couric. Next week, a woman copes with her husband's infidelity. It has come out in therapy that the relations have been with men. However, my husband is very closed off and kind of just wants it to go away. Dear Therapist is a production of iHeartRadio. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.